Sorry for my voice this morning. I've been a little bit under the weather. So we're continuing our series on parenthood, and last week we talked about the number one priority of parents is to pass on our faith gradually and intentionally to our children and our grandchildren. So we're going to continue that idea this morning of parenthood and what that means for us as followers of Jesus. And so if you're a guest here, or if you're checking out this whole faith thing, we're kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit on what it looks like and what we're talking about within a Christian home and what it means to pass on our faith and how our home should look like. So I don't know about you, but we don't live in Mayberry anymore, do we? Times have changed. And so even the cars that we take on trips, you remember the old cars, you had those seats that you could just slide across, and I'm sure that would be fun if you go around the corner and you kind of squeeze everybody in the can of sardines. We love doing that in our car. We go around a corner, and you've got to smash the person up against the window. Nobody does that anymore? Okay, you smash each other up or... I don't know, we've got these new inventions called televisions that show up in the back of cars. You ever see those things? And so we're going down the highway, and my kids are like, we need those TVs. And I'm like, no, it's more fun, the good old days. You have to make up kind of different games and different stuff. And so I know parents in the old days, they never would have just thought about putting something between the kids so they wouldn't fight and punch. Because our kids are apparently the only ones that do that whenever we go on trips and that's why we love taking long trips is so our kids can get reintroduced to one another and have loving games of enjoyment and lots of loving touch. And so there have been moments where I've just kind of like, do you want me to pull this car over? And they're like, for what? For food? And I'm like, no, not for food. We've got some discussions that need to happen. And so trips are a great time. Times have changed, and each child is different. If you have more than one child, you understand that one child is not exactly like the other child. You think that because... You're the parents and the same parents, and here they come. Here's these kids. They're going to be exactly the same, and sometimes they're exactly polar opposite, not only because they're boy and girl or whatever, but they just have different mindsets. They have different dreams, different visions. The way that you um, discipline one child will not work for another child. And so we, at our home, we, we try to discipline creatively. And so if my kids are acting up, I do what I can do best to annoy them and to um, embarrass them. And so one of the things that we've done for even discipline is if our kids get into that place where they're loving on each other a little too much and too loud, we pull back the curtain and say, get in the bathtub together and hug each other. Well, you cannot be mad at each other if you're in a bathtub hugging each other and you're a teenager. It's just not going to happen. You immediately get in the bathtub and you start cracking up laughing. Because listen, you know, we're, we're past the point of paddling and all those things, but them thinking about how ridiculous is this that we're fighting over different things. Even not too long ago, we had some disobedience in our house, and so one of the things that we did with disobedience, our kids are, again, older, and I was like, okay, creatively have them think about, I want them, one of the things I want my children to do is when I ask you to do something, I want you to do it in that moment, immediately do it. And so how can I get this point across to one of my children? I won't tell you who, but we were about to go out for the day, and I'm like, I want my kid to be with me. And so the punishment was, anytime I say jump, I want you to jump. And they looked at me like, oh, right. They think, I'm getting off easy. And so the other one's thinking, this is going to be fun. Okay. And so sure enough, we're out and about. We're going through the day, and we're about to sit down at the restaurant and get ready to take our order. And I said, jump. <laughs> And that child looked at me and go, seriously? And I was like, seriously, obey the first time. And so this child jumps, and right as they're about the peak of their jump, the waitress comes around the corner and is like, 
what in the world is happening? And they sit back down real quick. And so throughout the day, I was like, jump, jump. And so, again, the point of the, the creative discipline was like, listen, I want to teach you the principles of my faith, but I also want to teach you what it means to grow up and be a young man and young woman of Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, we live in an age, again, and not Mayberry. You can't, we can't do some of the things that maybe we've done in the past, and some of that's good, okay? But for me, the desire is, is I want my son, I want my daughter to grow up to be a man and a woman that have a heart after God, that has the characteristics and qualities that people want to be around them and hang around with them because they know that they're good quality people that can be trusted and that they love Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we continue this idea of parenthood, this morning, things change, people change, kids change, but I want you to see that there's three unchanging principles that we can have as parents, that we should have as parents in our parenting skills and our parenting toolbox. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, as we look at these three unchanging principles about parenthood or even grandparenting or aunts and uncles. This also even rolls over into even all of your other relationships as well. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Now again, our number one priority as parents is to pass on our faith to our children to do what's necessary to do that. So we even see this here in the very first verse, verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus. Okay, so they'd heard the stories about this rabbi. They'd heard these stories about this teacher and this Jesus. And he'd been healing and been teaching and crowds had been following. And so they understood, hey, here was this, this rabbi, this teacher. We need to be bringing our children as we're trying to pass on our faith as good Jewish parents We want to pass on our faith. And so they're bringing their children to this rabbi so that they can be in his presence, number one, so that if he tells stories, they will learn from him. But then even maybe even more important for them was the idea that the Jewish rabbi would bless them, that they would touch him on the head, they would bring him close and say, you are blessed. You are created in the image of God and you are a blessed child of God. And so that was an extremely important part of the Jewish heritage. And so these parents understand who Jesus is, and understand he's a rabbi, and so they're bringing their children to the feet of Jesus, okay? So one day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. Now, the disciples were doing their job. They were protecting Jesus. As you can imagine, as Jesus became famous in that area, that everywhere he went, the crowds were gathering around, and so people, everyone wanted some of Jesus' time. They wanted marriage counseling. They, all the different things that they thought Jesus could offer for them, they were consuming time. And so the disciples, the ones being around, I'm sure they were tired too. And so they understand at this moment, that I just imagine this picture of Jesus and a family in a house, and the disciples had kind of gone out. They'd had breakfast, and Jesus is sitting with the family, and they're enjoying coffee a little bit longer. He's talking with them, and the disciples are out in front of the house, and they're talking and talking about breakfast and talking about what had happened the previous day and talking about what they think might be happening this day. And so all these parents get word that Jesus the rabbi is there. And so they're coming over to this house, and they want the rabbi to bless them. And so Jesus is kind of looking out the window, and he sees these people coming up, and he sees the disciples saying, no, you guys, get away, get away. Don't, Jesus can't be bothered with you right now. And so Jesus steps in. He says, when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry. Literally, from inside, this indignation of like, listen, these are the very people that I want to be with. These are the very people that I want to hear and to know the truth. He was angry with his disciples. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. 
For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he looked, took the children into his arm and placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. The very first unchanging principle that I want you to see is in verse 13, is that is of a loving touch. This is a touch that's an appropriate touch like we talked about last week, but then whenever, they, whenever he brought them, the children to him, that he put his arm around them and embraced them. I imagine this is very much like a scene kind of like whatever you think about Santa Claus. Imagine a scene kind of like Santa Claus, and it here's this rabbi, and he's sitting here, and people are lining up and want to have a conversation with Jesus. And these children are there, and they want to have a, a moment with him. And so Jesus, one at a time, a long line is gathering, and he takes his time with each child and says, Hey, what's your name? What are your dreams? You know, God the Father loves you. I love you. You're, you're unimaginable. I can't imagine any other child as, as wonderful and as beautiful as you. And just like you would imagine Jesus talking to a child and just kind of rubbing him on the head and saying, Listen, you are blessed. You're a blessed child, one after one after one, and how important it is that there is touch. And one of our favorite things at our house is is climbing on the bed late at night and just talking and laughing together, hearing about our day. And inevitably, there's some punching that goes on, some deep, you know, grasping hugs that could look like wrestling moves that are going on. And so all four of us on the bed, we're talking, we're laughing, but inevitably, at the end, we're just kind of holding each other and just talking. And one of my favorite things is, is one of the kids just kind of laying their chest on my, their head on my chest and just being able to kind of hold them and say, hey, how's your day? I love you. And imagine that this is what Jesus, the rabbi, is doing as he's got his arms around these children. And he said, listen, I love you. Can you imagine what that meant for these parents, that this rabbi, this guy, for them to be able to do that? Touch is extremely important for us as parents. Children, they're showing that, research is showing that just because they're babies isn't the beginning, it's the beginning of touch, but even as they become preteens, it's even more important for us to hug our children and our grandchildren even more so they can experience what loving touch is. Matter of fact, some of my friends have gone over to Eastern Europe, in particular Romania, for the very reason to just go into Romanian orphanages and hold babies for weeks to two weeks at a time. Why? Because in Eastern Europe, parents are giving up their children and they're not being adopted, and they're sitting in these orphanages, and they're literally dying because they're not touched. No one picks them up. They're so busy doing other things. There's so many orphans that orphans are dying because they're not getting touched. No one's picking them up. No one's rocking. So I have friends that that's their mission trip for two weeks. They go to places like Romania, and for 15 minutes at a time, they pick up a child, hold them, and rock them, and move on to the next child. And sometimes in the orphanages, there's so many kids that they only get to touch that one child for 15 minutes in that two-week period. Touch is extremely important. Children are dying around the world because they're not getting the loving touch that they need. In Mark chapter 6, verse 56, it says this, Wherever he, Jesus, went in villages and cities or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. There was power in healing and touch. Something about all throughout the New Testament. Someone was dealing with leprosy. Someone was dealing with a skin disease. And one of the things that jumps out at me is that time after time after time, those that were unclean and untouchable, Jesus, the Messiah, reached out and he touched them. 
And in those moments, the thing that was most surprising, not that they were healed, but that was most surprising to the people in the crowd, was that Jesus would reach out and he would touch them and make himself unclean. They forgot the fact that these people were healed, but they were consumed by the fact that he had touched them. There is power in healing touch. And even for us, if there's people around us that just need, they live lonely lives, and for us to just walk up and just put our arms around them and say, hey, how are you doing? Pat on the shoulder. And listen, we live in an age where touch is, is something that we've got to watch and be careful about, but we can't be afraid. Okay, we've got to take chances as far as just saying, listen, hey, how are you doing today? Put your arm around somebody and say, hey, I love you. I care about you. You are blessed. Healing touch is extremely important. Massages, they've heard and learned and say, are extremely powerful for, for kids and apparently for adults as well. Do you know if you get a massage that you're going to be less irritable? All the women are like, yes. If you get a massage, you're going to sleep better. If you get a massage, you're going to be more social. Think about this. If you touch someone on the shoulder, you yourself are being touched. Your actual research has shown that you're receiving the same amount of endorphins and all the different things that are going on inside of your brain in the way that you give someone a massage or even put your hand on their shoulder. The very thing that happens inside of them that says, ah, this is a good touch, this is a good relationship, this is positive, the same thing that happens for them is happening for you. Healthy touching is an extremely important part that's missing in our society and our culture. Listen, something about, you know, football games and all those different things, it was nothing uncommon for us as guys like, hey, good game, right? Okay? You could slap, flat hand, don't cup, okay? <laughs> flat hand, but don't cup. That's a whole different thing. So <laughs> one time I was coaching girls soft. I was coaching girls softball, and I was in the end of the whole deal. It was my first time to coach girls softball, and I ingrained it in my brain. Tap heads on the girls. Tap heads on the girls. Tap heads on the girls. And so very first game, player runs down, and we were, you know, I was good friends with her and her parents, and she comes down, and I was like, hey, great. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I looked at her parents, and I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and she's laughing and stuff, and I was like, good game. Good job. Good job. Listen, appropriate touch. Our culture is needing for us to shake hands and put our arms around each other and say, you are a wonderful person. You are blessed. So not only an abundance of loving touch, but also we see in verses 13 and 14 that we need to spend an abundance of time with our children. We need to spend an abundance of time with them. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. T-I-M-E. And one of the things that, that I struggled with, I was even talking with someone this morning, that in ministry, my life and ministry life, a lot of times the bulk of things happen, especially as a student pastor over the years, happened on the weekends. So it was always difficult for us as a family to try to find time to be able to do things. And so Becky was getting off work, and I was just beginning to do life in the evenings and try to find this abundance of time that we could spend together. And then also someone who likes to check off, here's the things that I've done and I've accomplished. It's real easy for me to get caught up in these are the things on my agenda and to forget that my agenda is going to go by the wayside of history, but my legacy is my children. And so for us, especially I think as guys, it is extremely easy for us to get caught up on here's the list of things that we need to do and we're walking by our children and we're not spending quality time with our children and that we need an abundance of time not just a quality time but abundance of time with them the average person that lives to be about 75 years of age here's your life in a few snapshots you ready for this 
If you live to be 75, you're going to spend 26 years sleeping. You're going to spend 11 years watching TV, probably even more now with Netflix and Amazon. Eight of your years are going to be shopping. Four and a half years are going to be eating, unless you found Golden Corral. Seven years trying to sleep. You're going to spend more than four years talking on the phone. And you're going to spend at least five months complaining. Some of you maybe more than five months. Men, for us, here you go, you ready? This shows the difference between men and women. Men, you're going to spend 11 months staring at women. Some of you maybe more. Men, we're going to spend 46 days getting ready. Means getting ready all that time. Women are going to spend 136 days, three times as much. But you're going to spend a year deciding what you're going to wear. You're going to spend a year and a half doing your hair and a total of 17 years dating. Dieting, sorry. (laughs) Slightly different thing, right? Some of you have been dating for 17 years. Here's the sad part. Dads, on average, spend 37 seconds a day, 37 seconds a day engaged in meaningful conversation with their children. Fathers, on average, we're spending 37 seconds a day engaged in a meaningful conversation with our children. That's not enough time. Not nearly enough time. You're barely getting out the question, how was your day? And they're getting into that, and we're moving on to something else. For us to re-identify and to reallocate the amount of time that we're spending with our children is extremely important for us. We need to, to look at how are we spending time with our children, and what does it mean for us to have quality and quantity time and to invest and to look at our children in the eyes and for all of us to take our iPhones and to remove them and to set them down or to hide them so that we can spend time engaging each other and looking each other in the eyes. important for us one wise person told me one time you have time for what you make time for notice the name you have time for what you make time for because I early on in a marriage I was like I don't have time I'm doing this I'm doing this I'm doing this and she was looking me in the face she says listen I'm about to leave you dude because you've got time for everything else but me and there's other people that will be willing to spend time with me she wasn't But she was telling me, she was waking me up. She said, listen, you have time for what you make time for. And for us, it's a busy go. We got all this different stuff. Stop and spend time with those that mean something to us. That is our legacy, not the tasks, not all these other things. That is our legacy. James even tells us life is so short that you're like a mist. We have a tendency to be either Mary or Martha. Most of us find ourselves wanting to living life like Martha and that we just are so consumed with the tasks because we want people to see us in a certain way, that we want people to see our achievements. We're a Facebook-driven world that we put up our achievements, we put up our accomplishments, we put up all this different stuff, and we put more of our stuff on Facebook and more abundance of time doing that so people can applaud us than we do spending abundance of time with our children. That maybe for some of us, we probably need to take a fast from Facebook, a fast from Instagram, a fast from all this other stuff, and taking pictures of our children and doing that and spending time with our children. 
truly have an idea of who our children are, that we've got glimpses of them, but we don't truly know them because we're not spending time with them. Unadulterated, unplanned, just time. We're going to go do something somewhere. And listen, when I'm saying this, I'm talking to me. Okay, the things that I'm teaching and I'm preaching, yes, I walk through them and struggle with them just like you. I've got things I want to do and I want, I've got things I've got, I want to be and I want, I've got things that I want people to perceive because I've got an idea of what success is because if we're not successful, then I won't be the pastor here anymore. Right? Let's be honest. But the thing that defines success truly for me is do my son, do my daughter know Jesus? Do they love Jesus more than I love Jesus? Are they a man and woman of character even more than I am? Do they have a safe place where they can come and they can ask Dad, hey, here's Dad, I don't understand this. I need to ask you some real-life difficult questions. And for us to sit down and to struggle through those things and for me to say, listen, I don't understand this, but here's what God says, and we're going to try to live this out. Again, like even what we talked about last week, that there's sometimes that we need to tell our children, you may not have any friends. Because there's no one around you that surrounds you that should be a good, that is a good friend. And so it's better for you to have no friends than to have bad friends. But our children are choosing to go elsewhere because they don't have the relationship with us. So I want my children to say, listen, if I have no other safe place to go, at least they're going to be able to come to mom and dad. An abundance of time. And the third thing I want you to see is there's an encouraging talk. What kind of words do we speak to our children? We bring words of life or death, hope or discouragement. The words that we speak to our children truly help define who they are. Again, there's so many different research, so much different stuff out there that says that if no matter where your children grow up, it could be in the ghetto, it could be the hardest places around the world, but if those children here, time after time after time, you are a child of God, you have great hope, you have great purpose, you have great value, there are dreams that are ahead of you, those children will fulfill those things. Because they understand and they follow through and they want what's best for them. I mean, even think about Dr. Ben Carson. If you've read his book, his autobiography, The Gift of Hands, it was about his mom saying, listen, I'm not going to let you settle for second best. And so what does she do? She says, listen, we're going to turn off the TV. As a matter of fact, we're going to sell that darn thing. You know, I'm going to invest time in you. I'm a single mom, but I've got to be mom and dad. I'm going to invest in you. And she began to teach her children time after time, tell her children time after time, you are not where you're from. You are who you are as a child of God. And she began to teach, began a blessing after blessing after blessing, saying, listen, I love you. I, I love who you are. I love who God is making you to be. You are a great man. You're a great child. And so all these different things. And so one day he wakes up, and should it be any surprise of where he's at? And for us to speak words of blessing, words of encouragement, that what, whoever that we think our children should be is, is always talk about, hey, you're going to be a doctor. Hey, you're going to be a lawyer. Hey, you're a great person. Hey, you're always positive things. Now, are there times to, to sit down and say, listen, that stinks? Let's have those discussions. Yes. Too many times we jump on the negative. Why didn't you get this? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Instead of saying, listen, boom, you're a child of God. And as your father, I love you. And I struggle with where you're at, but let's move forward. Let's, what are we going to learn from this as we move forward? Because you are a child of God. You are my child. You are a person of great character. You're disappointed in this moment. I'm glad that you're disappointed. You, you struggled or you failed right here. Let's continue to move forward and be encouraging 
to our children and those around us. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, the only words that we have recorded that God spoke to Jesus, it says this in Matthew three seventeen. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The only words that we have recorded from God the Father to God the Son. This is my son in whom I love. I am well pleased. When's the last time as parents... And you just stop for a moment, put your arm around your child and said, you're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I care for you. Give them a little extra squeeze. Say, I am pleased by who you are. I don't love you because you make all A's. I don't love you because you're great at this. I don't love you because of this or love you because of this. I love you because you are my child and I'm seeing you become more like Jesus every day. That's my legacy. That's our legacy as mothers and fathers and grandparents is to pass on our faith. Our number one priority is to pass on our faith gradually and intentionally so that our children look and love Jesus even more than we do. And one of the unchanging principles is that we're going to loving touch, loving touch, talk, right? And an abundance of time. Let's pray together. Father God, many of us in this room would say we've had great parents that loved us and cared for us. And then others of us in this room would say we had horrible parents. So Lord, I just pray that each one of us is that our parents today, that our grandparents, that, Lord, that we would model our lives and our parenting after you. And if there was good things that we can take from our parents, that we take them and then use them. And if, and if not, then we do the opposite. Father, I pray that as parents here that we begin to understand that our number one role is passing on our faith. And that it doesn't happen by accident, that it's an intentional process of us pursuing you everywhere we go, everywhere we talk, everything, when we sit down to a meal, everything that we do, it's about passing on our faith of Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray for the kids and the students that we parent. Father, that we would receive grace from them as we, there's not a manual other than this, this book. There's, each child is different. We're going to make mistakes along the way. But Father, that we receive that grace from them as well. For, Lord, I know our desire, the desire of these parents and these grandparents is to bring you glory and honor. And it truly is to pass on our faith as much as we know or as little as we know about about you to pass that on to our children. Father, we bring you glory and honor through the way that we parent. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.